Hey guys, welcome to the very last episode of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast Book 4. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just said that. It feels like I just started yesterday. This is crazy. Um, but today we'll be reading chapter 23, where we'll be ending book 4 and the series. But first, a recap, as always, of chapter 22. So the boys finally found Mr. Benedict and Mr. Curtin, but unfortunately so did Crawling and the listener. We finally got a good look at the listener, and it turns out that she is related to Ty. They have very similar features. Crawling's forced Runnings to get to give him the antidote, so he could drink it down and become the most intelligent man in the world. Or so he thought. For after Crawling had drinking the so-called antidote, Mr. Benedict and the children revealed their true knowledge of the trick that they had planned for him. And then they left him, unable to move, lying in the keep. So that is the end of my very last summary. Gosh, that is sad. Okay, guys, so I have quite a few things to go over in this last episode, but the first is a shout-out, and may I add my very last shout-out on this podcast to Lexi Plexi Mexico. So thank you for listening to the very end. I hope you enjoyed. Okay, on to the next thing. If you enjoyed reading this series, I recommend reading the book The Secret Keepers. That is also by Trent Lee Stewart. I personally have read it, and it is very similar to these books and also really good. I will not be reading it on this podcast, but it is certainly something to check out if you enjoy the Mysterious Benedict Society. Okay, and now onto my final thing on the list. I'm sure a lot of you are wondering what's going to happen next for this podcast. I can totally answer that question for you, and the answer is nothing. After this episode, this podcast will become inactive, which means no more posting. This podcast will not be changed or added to anymore. It will simply become a place to listen to the series. But what I wanted to tell you guys is that I will be starting a new podcast called Reading with Grace, opening in two weeks. In that podcast, I am planning to read all sorts of different series and books, and I plan to speed up the reading process because, to be honest, this series took me so much longer than I wanted it to, and I plan to release more at a time on Reading with Grace, and I know that a lot of you have wanted that as well. The first series I will be reading on Reading with Grace is called The Unwanteds, and it is my second favorite series of all time. And I know what you're thinking, why not read your first favorite? And that is because The Unwanteds are not very well known, and that's very important to me. And I think they deserve to be, so I'm going to try and share them with as many as people as possible through Reading with Grace. I hope all of you can be there to listen as well. I've become so fond of all my listeners on this podcast. The love you show and the support I will never be able to repay. And I'm so grateful to you all. So please, please, please go check out Reading with Grace where I will be dropping my very first episode on April 11th. I'm so excited, guys. It is certainly something new and I'm very nervous, but also really excited. I hope to see some familiar faces and names on that podcast from you guys soon. Okay, now finally, let's go start our last episode and finish this series. Enjoy! Chapter 23, The Opposite of Zegzwang It was a fine late morning to be on the roof. Clouds moved swiftly across a fair blue sky, streaming after one another as if called home and eager to arrive. Beneath them, a falcon could be seen gliding in graceful arcs. The patio had been swept clean, the railing mended, and one of the previously mingled tables, likewise put to rights, had been positioned in the middle of the patio and covered with a lace-trimmed tablecloth. On the table stood a vase of fresh-cut roses, a smuggled teapot, four smuggled cups and saucers, and an assortment of smuggled necessaries, such as teaspoons, honey, sugar, and milk. A light breeze ruffled those rose petals, a few of which drifted pleasantly down to settle on the tablecloth, and the pleasant clatter of cup and saucer accompanied the pleasant chatter of four fast friends. 
An extravagant lunch was due to be served in the dining room in less than an hour, but the society was enjoying a private pre-lunchtime patio party, which Kate delighted in referring to as their PPPP. Nor could they stop laughing, for they all wore their finest clothes, and the very idea of being so properly dressed while having a tea party on the roof was impossible to bear with stray faces. And indeed, that had been the point. Every time Sticky and his houndstooth blazer raised a teacup to his lips, a fresh round of snickering commenced. Rennie in his tweed jacket couldn't ask for honey or milk without prompting snorts and golf laws. The sight of Kate in her elegant black dress with long sleeves and a high collar was more shocking than funny, but to be repeatedly shocked simply by glancing at one's friend was funny enough on its own to provoke endless merriment. Constance, for her part, was in her usual green plaid suit, but the fact that she had refused to sit in one of the folding chairs had insisted, rather, that the others haul, of all things, the whisperer out of the attic and place that formerly terrifying mind-control machine at the table, so that she now sat daintily perched at the end of an oversized metal chair with a red helmet affixed to its back, sipping her tea like royalty on a throne. Well, it was too much. Her friends could hardly look at her without spewing their own tea or choking on it, and they soon loomed to manage the terming of their sips. I can't shake the feeling, Sticky observed, that we're pretending to wear nice clothes and have a tea party on the roof, yet we actually are. If it felt natural to us, it wouldn't be nearly so entertaining, said Kate. She kept touching her hair, which she had pulled up and fixed in place with tiny decorative combs, and was nervously touching it now and again, she said. This business is going to have to come down soon, though. I challenge you to make it all the way through lunch, Frenny said. Kate narrowed her eyes. You had to go and make it a challenge. Crafty you, Muldoon. The way the PPPP had come about was this. The Washingtons and the Permals had left that they were going to meet Mr. Bendick's oldest friends, and Rhonda Kanzambe and her husband were making a visit too. Then they ought to recognize the special nature of the occasion and wearing suitable clothes. Neither Sticky nor Rennie had felt enthusiastic about the prospect, but when Milligan referred to his three-piece suit as one of his favorite disguises, Kate had snorted and clapped her hands and announced that she was in a mind to wear a dress. Upon hearing this and receiving Kate's preposterous party proposal, the young men caught their spirit, helped each other tie their neckties, which Kate had later retied for them, and laughed all the while. Constance had found none of this amusing as the others did, but even so, she had yet to properly complain. In fact, she had rarely been in a brighter mood. Speaking of challenges, Constance said now, you do all realize how difficult it's been waiting for your explanations, don't you? Returning her cup to its saucer, she scooted back in her seat, drew up her knees, and wrapped her arms around them. "'You have been impressively patient,' Stiggy said, and the others nodded. The truth was that Constance had had little choice. Though she'd finally recovered from her sickness, which had taken a full day, even with the help of Stiggy's fruity concoctions, they had all been constantly busy and, more to the point, never alone. Constance had been forced to settle for promises of full explanations to be given at the first official meeting of the society. Yes, she had been tempted more than once to fish around in her friends' minds for details, but she had notably resisted the temptation and saw no need to mention it to anyone. Let's start with the scaredy cats, Kate suggested, and Rennie and Sticky signaled their agreement. The weird way we went about things, Constance, was mostly because of those jokers. They were so good at sniffing out traps, you know. We had to do everything we possibly could to convince them that the keep wasn't a trap. Then Ty and the listener came into the picture and things got doubly hard. As you said, Constance, Rennie said, it's a good thing we've had so much practice keeping our most secret thoughts to ourselves. The trick for us was to keep hidden what we already knew, but to let slip just enough from a kraken to feel convinced of the situation. Thanks to the listener, he knew that Mr. Binnick was sending us clues and informing us of the supposedly poisoned tea he drunk. Constance's eyes widened. That's why you had to tell me Dad weren't going to take any risks, even though you knew McCracken wouldn't believe me. 
Rennie tapped his nose. McCracken would expect us to try and throw him off our trail. If we didn't try, at least, he would have been suspicious. And later, Constance said, thinking back, when you and I faced him at the barrier, he said he knew that we'd been trying to solve some kind of riddle. You were probably glad. Rennie grinned. I was. One more convincing detail, right? The harder the situation looked for us, the less it would look like a trap to them. We needed to know as little as possible, but we trusted Mr. Benedict to have everything done he could to give us the advantage. He knew what we were capable of, and, well, he is a genius after all. We knew what we were capable of, too, Kay said, and that includes you. What you did back there at the safe room? We all imagined you could do something like that. So did Mr. Benedict, of course. We were trying to protect you by keeping you out of things, but believe me, it definitely boosted our confidence to have you there. It made the rest of us safer. Speaking of which, Kate went on, giving Constance a shrewd look. I happen to know now what you really did that for me, what you did for all of us. Sticky turned to Rennie. Do you know what she's talking about? Rennie shook his head. They both looked expectantly at Constance, who merely shrugged and rested her chin on her knees. And then at Kate, who was shaking her head with a look of admiration. When I was trapped with McCracken and company, Kate explained, I asked Constance to inform Mr. Benedict of the situation. I thought there might be some chance he could help me out, you know. Here Sticky and Rennie nodded knowingly. At the time, I just thought he wasn't able to for whatever reason, or that Constance hadn't been able to get through to him. But I learned from Mr. Benedict just this morning that she did get through to him, Kate said, looking at Constance with an expression of mock disapproval. And he told her that he could protect me, but by doing so would make me miserably sick for a while. And not just me, but also you boys and Ty. And he asked her if the situation was dire enough to warrant that. She told him never mind. Now it was Rennie and Stiggy's turn to look admiringly at Constance. Really, Stiggy said, you did that for us, even knowing how sick it would make you? You are something else, Constance, said Rennie. He put a hand over his heart. Something else and then some, Sticky said, echoing the gesture. Oh, for crying out loud, said Constance, who looked very pleased to be acknowledged in this way. Any of you would have done the same thing for me, and you know you would. Also, I overestimated how much I could help Kate. I thought I could take them all out, but I only managed a few. What if something had happened to her after that? Yes, it was a very shameful performance, Kate said, furrowing her brow. You only disabled the most powerful ten men with your mind, she laughed. Maybe deep down you had a tiny speck of confidence in my abilities. What do you think about that? Maybe, Constance said with a roll of her eyes. But how was it that Dad could have helped you anyway? He was stuck in that security suite. Could he have pushed a button and released some kind of gas, maybe? The other three trapped their noses. Thanks to Sticky, Rennie said. I mean, George, sorry. Sticky cleared his throat. You know what? I've been thinking about this. I would rather you three call me Sticky. i never gotten comfortable with you calling me George. Well, that's a relief, Kate said, refilling everyone's cups from the teapot. I've had the hardest time remembering. Rennie looked uncomfortable. To be honest, for me, the challenge has been how it's been making me feel. Like I'm talking about a different person instead of one of my best friends. I wanted to do it for your sake, and I still will if you change your mind. I think it will be easier now. Before, I already felt like I was losing you in some way. Something in me kept wanting to blurt out the old name, maybe to resist what I feared what was happening. I really didn't mean to, though. I'm sorry about that. Far from being annoyed by this revelation, Sticky was touched, and he assured Rennie that there was nothing to be sorry about. Constance, for her part, did feel annoyed. She was having a hard time keeping up with what to call Sticky when she wanted to provoke him. No, Sticky was saying, I think when I meet new people, I'll introduce myself as George. But you can all, you know, stick with Sticky. I don't have to be one or the other. I can be both. Oh, like Mr. Cole said, Kate observed, you aren't becoming a different person. You're becoming more persons, she frowned. More people? Is it persons or people? Technically, Sticky began, but Constance cut him off. 
technically it was my dad who said that, she said previously. And Mr. Cole was just quoting him. Nothing against Mr. Cole, but also technically George. She said this with a satisfied smirk. You haven't exactly explained about this gas, for which evidently we owe you our humble thanks. Suggy sighed. The gas, he explained, was the result of one of their special projects. He had seen Duxworth under a microscope. He had learned enough about it before it disintegrated to embark on a series of productive experiments. With the brilliant input of Mr. Benedict and Rhonda, Suggy had made significant progress in the development of a formula that would diminish the unfortunate effects of narcolepsy and other sleep disorders. And why did no one tell me about this? Constance interrupted. The others laughed and rolled their eyes. This was around the time, Rennie explained, that you began saying that if you heard another single word about chemistry, you would scream an endless scream. You wrote a threatening poem about it. The title, if I remember correctly, was The Endless Scream. Oh, right, Constance said, her expression turning fond as she recalled the poem. After that, we discussed it rather less around you, Stuggy said, and then we found even more reason for secrecy, because when my research led me to a formula for the unique sleeping gas, Mr. Brandick requested that I share the formula with him and Rhonda, and then never mention it again. Well, he shrugged, at that point we all knew he intended it to use at the keep. Since then, Kate said, we've never discussed it. We knew it needed to be kept an ironclad secret, but we all understood that it was a potential part of the trap. Constance narrowed her eyes. So those emergency security measures Dad went to implement had to do with the sleeping gas. If he was the only one who knew about it, he was the only one who could use it against the ten men. Exactly, Kate said, and first he had to mix up a fresh batch for the formula. The gas loses potency within a few days. Sticky, tell her what you named it. I do feel rather proud of that, Sticky said. It's called Keep Sleep, and Constance groaned. It's called Keep Sleep, Sigur repeated doggedly. And Mr. Benedict, Rhonda, and I are the only ones in the world who know the formula. I've never written it down. We agree that it is too dangerous to risk of falling into the wrong hands. It poses no mortal threat, Trini explained. But it will knock you out for at least a day or two, unless you're injected with the antidote. Either way, when you wake up, you will definitely feel terrible for a while. So we knew that Mr. Benedict would use it as a last resort, or only in specific circumstances to protect us. Once we had the ten men trapped inside the barriers with us, though we knew that we'd won, because if things went badly enough, Mr. Brenda could just disperse the keep sleep and everyone would be knocked out, including the ten men. But how would that make things better, Constance said, her brow wrinkling. Wouldn't everyone just wake up eventually and be in the same situation? As for that, Siggy said, everyone wouldn't be knocked out, actually. The safe room would be, well, safe as long as the barrier was down, and I wouldn't be knocked out either, because I injected myself with a special formula ahead of time. Unfortunately, having that on my system meant exposure to keep sleep would make me incredibly sick. But at least I'd be conscious, which would allow me to revive you all with the antidote. The serum, Constance cried. Right, said Kate. This whole business about poison was a ruse, and we knew as soon as we saw it in Mr. Curtin's letter. When you thought Sticky was down in the blab mixing up the antidote to this fictional poison, he was actually preparing the antidote to keep sleep, enough to revive all of us if things shook out that way, and injecting himself with his special counteractive formula. He already volunteered you to be the one to do that. I thought you all didn't discuss it, Constance said. Not recently, Rennie said. We discussed it back when we realized that the keep sleep would be part of the trap. We made certain decisions and then did our best to hide it all away in the backs of our minds. From Constance's inspection, it was unclear whether she was about to chide them or thank them, but before she could do either, a screeching sound interrupted their conversation, followed by the telltale rattle and clank of the platform. The trapdoor fell open, and presently the smiling face of Mr. Benedict rose into view, followed by the rest of his body smartly attired in a lavender suit. "'Don't get up, don't get up!' he cried, throwing the lever and stepping nimbly from the platform. "'Why, how dashing you all look!' 
Despite his abdomen, everyone but Constance rose to greet Mr. Benedict, and they all exchanged compliments with him and inquired about the state of lunch preparation below. Mucho's profound lasagna is almost ready, Mr. Benedict told them. The table is set, our guests are soon to arrive, and your parents are all wondering where you are. I've been dispatched to alert you, but I also wish to thank you. I'm delighted enough that John and his wife will come here, but to learn that you've also arranged for Violet to come? What an occasion! We didn't do much ourselves, Rennie said. It was Captain Nolan who agreed to bring her from Paris. Indeed, and as a guest of honor of his wonderful ship, I certainly owe Phil a debt of gratitude as well, Mr. Bindick said. But you all had the idea, and you made the invitations, the arrangements, and I will be forever grateful. Rennie, Sticky, and Kate tried to return the expression of gratitude. After all, they insisted they had so much to thank him for, too. But Mr. Bindick would not be swayed from his course. Do you know, he went on, his bright green eyes growing brighter still with tears, I haven't had all my closest friends and family in the same room since I was a boy, when, incidentally, I had no family, and my closest friends numbered exactly two. To have all of you together today, well, I can hardly begin to express how much it means to me. It's a once-in-a-lifetime gift. Once-in-a-lifetime, my friends. Mr. Benedict took out a lavender handkerchief, dabbed at his eyes, and blew his nose. Then, ducking beneath the whisperer's red helmet to kiss Constance on the top of her head, he added, And it's still a marvel to me that I can allow myself to experience a pure emotion without the risk of falling asleep. For that, I thank you again, my dear. Constance briefly patted his shoulder. You're welcome again. Also, Dad, it's super awkward when you cry in front of people, you know. At this, Mr. Benedict laughed his distinctive laugh, rather like the nickering of a horse, and Constance said, That's only slightly better. Before Mr. Benedict left them to finish their private party, Kate informed them that they were finally giving Constance all the details of their complicated ten-man trap plan. Or plans, I should say, since we did a backup plans and we knew you'd have them too. Mr. Brindick smiled. Oh, yes, backup plans beyond backup plans, from plan A to plan Q. Only to plan Q, Constance said, not Z. Mr. Brindick shrugged. Alas, no, the whole business was complicated enough, I must say. Arriving at my agreement with the government authorities was the only the simple part, to be sure. They were perfectly happy to give me a chance to capture the ten men before the officials were compelled to intervene themselves. For any confrontation with Kraken and his crew, even if ultimately successful, would no doubt result in many casualties among law enforcement personnel and very likely innocent civilians as well. Weren't all of Milligan's best agents out of commission? Constance asked. Indeed they were. A large number of reinforcements were quietly being moved into place, however forming a secret perimeter around Stonetown, but their orders were to tighten to the net only if the ten men decided to leave the city instead of trying to infiltrate the keep, or if they did take the bait with our plans went awry. Now, my dear, Mr. Brindick continued, you may be wondering what the plan was if the ten men had never escaped in the first place. That, admittedly, would have been the ideal situation. Milligan did feel certain that we were closing in on the Katz brothers. If things worked out well, all would eventually have been transferred to the keep, and the final renovations made. The facility would no longer need its various trap-like elements, and of course special measures had to be taken in case of individuals as uniquely dangerous as the Ten Men. You can be assured, for instance, that the doors to the control rooms have already been replaced by ones impossible to breach. I wondered about that, Constance said. They were just regular doors. Mr. Benedict chuckled. I've had to deal with all the manner of absurdities, with the government granting me a free hand in the design and renovation process. They truly did mean a free hand. The other they kept firmly tied behind my back. Unfortunately for our purposes, I was still able to make a workable design, if not a perfect one. Personally, I loved it, Kate said. Thank you, Kate, said Mr. Benedict, and his tone suggested that she could not have given him a greater compliment. And to answer one more of your questions, Constance, he said just as Constance was opening her mouth to ask it, 
I had almost no control of the facility operations from within Lothadra's security suite. I couldn't open any doors or drop any barriers. The only option available to me was to enter a computer command that would disperse the keep sleep and, simultaneously, send a unique distress signal to key figures on the mainland, Rhonda among them. They all knew the response protocols for that particular signal and would have followed them accordingly. Constance considered this. But how was that supposed to work? McCracken said they had the signal disruptor. Indeed, said Mr. Benedict, but if I hadn't anticipated that and invented my own disruptor disruptor, well, I dare say I hardly could have been worth my keep. My keep, Constance. Here he erupted into a boisterous, whinnying laugh, and Constance groaned again. This time she hid her face, however, for although she found Mr. Benedict's joke ridiculous, she couldn't help laughing just a little. The others were more open about their amusement, and everyone was laughing freely again, as Mr. Benedict took his leave, promising Constance he would answer any remaining questions later. He said not a single word about the fact that she was sitting in the whisperer at a tea party, as if this were the most natural thing in the world. Soon he was sinking out of view on the platform, though society was alone again on the roof. So, Constance said when the others' laughter had died down. Since I don't want to wait forever to get more answers from Dad, how about all of you explain to me Uncle Horrible's letter? I had a chance to read it yesterday, and I don't know what to make of it. Was it all a lie, or only parts of it? And how did Dad get him to write it? We asked them both the same things after crawlings went down, Sticky told her. That secret weapon Mr. Curtin said no one knew existed, with the potential to change the world? What he told us was that it was his willingness to believe that the Ten Men were eternally loyal to him. Something McCracken proved when he went after SQ. Anticipating such a betrayal made Mr. Curtin very inclined to cooperate with Mr. Benedict, he said. But when we had the chance to speak privately with Mr. Benedict later, Rennie put in, he said he believed that there was more to it than that. Mr. Benedict thinks that Mr. Curtin's secret weapon was the realization, the very slow realization, that he might have been wrong about other things, including the way he'd gone about trying to improve the world. Mr. Curtin wouldn't admit as much to him, but he did show that he was willing to change the world forever in a positive way, whatever his motives truly were, by doing his part to capture the baker's dozen. It's really a lot to take in, Constance mused. I mean, he's so bad. That's for sure, Kay said. But, well, Mr. Curtin knew that there was an absolutely no way he would ever escape the keep. Mr. Bindick was telling me about this earlier today. He said he explained it to Mr. Curtin all the measures that would prevent it. And Mr. Curtin, despite his arrogance, was just too smart out to see that he'd been beaten. Plus, you know how badly he wants to control things. After all these years of being completely out of control... He was desperate to be able to accomplish something, even if it meant helping to capture his former employees. So there was no secret catch of weapons, right? Constance said. And he didn't have any secret way off the island? They all shook their head. And Rennie said, I did ask him if he's ever considered having an escape tunnel under the harbor. And he acted like this was ridiculous. But when I pressed him and asked him if he'd ever even considered it, he flew off the handle, Sticky interjected, laughing. He totally blew up. Rennie said, he turned purple and shouted, Of course I considered it, you dolt. I wanted one. But do you have any idea how much a secret tunnel under the harbor would cost? Snakes and dogs. It simply couldn't be done. Fortunately, he managed to lie down before he lost consciousness, Siggy said. And that was the end of the conversation. From the street came the sound of car doors opening and closing. The guests were beginning to arrive. Exclamations of greeting issued from the courtyard, whose gate screeched and clanged. And the society discussed whether to go straight down or wait a few minutes and make a dramatic entrance. They were eager to be with their friends and families, but they were also reluctant to end their private party. They were all still debating on what to do when the platform machinery sounded again, and before long they were presented with the unexpected sight of Tai Lai, wearing a bow tie and suspenders. He leaped from the platform and dashed to their table, exclaiming, Look at me! I'm so uncomfortable! We all are, Kate replied, laughing, and everyone, even Constance, complimented Tai on his splendid attire. 
Beaming, he announced that S. Cubadelian had arrived, and that his feet were indeed the most impressive feet Ty had ever seen, and that he had been so nice. He shook my hand and said he was charmed to meet me, Ty said, happily accepting the small spoonful of sugar Randy handed him. He touched his tongue to it, smiled, and went on. And he actually bowed to Aunt Claire, like in a movie, except he bumped his head on the table. This is so fun! Aunt Claire was very nice to him, too. She offered him to get some ice. He was referring, of course, to the listener, whose real name had turned out to be Claire Lye, and whose identity had been determined soon after that surprise meeting in Mr. Curtin's security suite. She was the older sister of Ty's father, and a scientist herself, an expert in invisible signal technology. Whether her research had led to her to Mr. Curtin or vice versa was unclear, for Mr. Curtin refused to discuss the matter. No doubt Mr. Biddick speculated. His brother knew that an apology was in order and did not yet feel capable of making one. Everyone else was skeptical about this, but politely accepted it as a possibility. What was clear was that Dr. Lai was the reason that Ty's parents had been trying to invent a long-distance tracking device. It might have been used to help any number of people, but Ty's parents had wanted very specifically to find her. Your Aunt Claire is very nice, Sticky said. She's already becoming good friends with my parents, my mom especially. My dad likes her too, but if it takes longer to become friends with my dad, since he only speaks about one word a day. Ty giggled. She says she really likes them too, and Miss Permal and her mother have been really helping her fix up her room. Alma and Pata are very fond of her, Bernie said. I think she's doing well, all things considered, don't you? She doesn't seem especially sad anymore, even though she doesn't have her memory back yet. She isn't sad, Ty exclaimed. He had finished off the sugar and was emphasizing his words with flourishness on the spoon. And she's going to get her memory back. Mr. Benedict says he's working on it. And if Mr. Benedict says it, you know it's true. They all voiced their agreement and expressed their gladness that the situation with the listener had taken such an unexpectedly happy turn. Constance, in particular, had felt a profound relief in losing an adversary and gaining an ally. Indeed, when she and Dr. Lyde finally met face to face, they found themselves spontaneously crying, clinging to each other like long-lost friends. Constance, in rare form, had insisted that there was nothing to forgive, and in fact had promised she would do everything she could to help Dr. Lyde. The two had been especially kind to each other ever since, and had spent a great deal of time talking about their telepathic experiences. Do you want to know something I hope? Ty asked the Taiwo in general. They all said that they would be very gratified to know. I hope, said Ty, that when Aunt Claire gets her memory back, she may be able to guess what a middle initial stands for, because maybe I'm named for some relative I don't know about. Wait, Constance said. You don't know what the M stands for? Why on earth did you keep asking us to guess it then? I thought maybe you could, Ty said with a carefree shrug. I thought I might know if I heard it. The others laughed and shook their heads. Kate leaned forward, Ty, and whispered conspiratorially. Have a look beneath the table, why don't you? Ty instantly complied, ducking out of view under the tablecloth. He emerged with Kate's bucket in his arms and a huge grin on his face. Kate tapped him playfully on the nose. Will you keep track of that for me until after lunch, when I can change you to some decent clothes? Ty agreed that he would, and promptly stepped into his bucket to be on the same level as the others, or very nearly. He had never lacked for cheer, but the discovery of his aunt, and the successful entrapment of the baker's dozen, and his own role in the matter had lifted his spirits to even greater heights. In the final moments of their mission, he had truly played an important part, for he had told his aunt, telepathically, that she didn't need to be confused anymore, that he was with his heroes, and that all she had to do was help them and everything would be fine. And it worked, Dr. Lyad said later. All my confusion fell away. I felt the truth of what he was saying so clearly. Then when I sensed that Crawlings was meant to drink the serum, I found it easy to play along. I knew everything was about to get better at last. And so it has. So it had indeed. The society had agreed that they were all staying put indefinitely. 
Their other opportunities had certainly been appealing, but it had become clear that, at least for the time being, the most special opportunities were right here. They had far too many projects that needed tending to. It would take all of them to keep Ty out of trouble. They told him much to his light that they wanted to help Mr. Benedict help Dr. Lai, and the other three intended to help Constance find some friends her own age. She grumbled about this, but only half-heartedly, since in fact the prospect pleased her. And there were so many others besides. Also, Mr. Benedict had made an interesting request. The gentleman would be to be offered productive activities that did not involve anything that could be used as a weapon. With their ability to do harm taken away, McCracken and his comrades were destined to be the most polite and agreeable prisoners in the world. But they did need something to do. Sticky already had an idea based on Duxworth's fragile mocular structure for a watering can and garden implements that disintegrated into powder if used to strike anything with force. Yes, the society was going to be very busy indeed. In the meantime, their private party was at an end, and as Kate whipped the tablecloth out from under the objects on the table, which remained where they were, and the others all rose from their seats, Ty stepped down from the bucket and asked Rennie what he was singing about that funny word. Sugswing? Rennie asked with a smile. Oh, I'd just been thinking about how fitting it was that that was the code for Mr. Curtin's security suite. Collins had to make a move, but unbeknownst to him, the only options available to him were bad ones. And that's what the word means in chess, Ty said, scooping up the bucket. Mr. Benedict taught me that. But just now you were thinking that there's a word that means the opposite of Zugzwang, he said, pronouncing the chess term with some difficulty. What is it? I'll see if you can guess it, Rennie said with a wink. For they were all headed downstairs now, where they were to be so warmly greeted. Rennie with hugs and kisses from Alma and Patti, Sticky from his parents, Kate from Milligan, who was getting around quite nimbly despite the cast on his legs, and Ty from his aunt, who lit up every time he entered the room. And all of them by everyone, from Mucho to Captain Plug to Rhonda to Number Two to dear old Escubadelian. They would happily greet Mr. Benedict's lifelong friends as well, and meanwhile the delicious smell of Mucho's famous lasagna would be wafting in from the kitchen, and they would take their familiar seats at the dining room table, where they would all feel, now and forever, at home. Okay, and that is the conclusion of the Mysterious Benedict Society and the Riddle of Ages Book 4 of the Mysterious Benedict Society series. And this is also the conclusion to the end of the Mysterious Benedict Society series. I am so sad to see it end. This is my very first podcast and all of my listeners have been so incredible with love and support and I couldn't be happier with how it all turned out. Whether you've been listening from the very first episode where I was still getting used to recording, or just read three, two, or even one of the books, thank you so much. This podcast and its listeners means the absolute world to me, and I've had so much fun reading this series with all of you. I love you guys so much, and I will always remember this podcast even moving forward. Which reminds me to tell you to go check out Reading with Grace, my new podcast starting on April 11th, where I will be reading the series The Unwanteds. I hope you will all check it out. Thank you for listening. And with that, I will say goodbye to the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud podcast. It has been incredible, and I hope you all enjoyed. Bye. Bye.